Hello there and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And today's podcast is on um, how to get out of a spiritual desert. Actually, um, there's two titles. I'm not sure what I'm going to call it yet. Uh, This will become relevant later, but um, I started off my notes calling it uh, How to Get Out of Your Spiritual Desert. That was kind of the topic that was raised to me and um, went through everything and wrote all the points and then uh, I wrote the title on the cover page and what I wrote was how to find God in your spiritual desert and then I scrolled down I was like oh wait that's not the title and I thought wow that's interesting Um, so I left it with two titles Um, how to get out of your spiritual desert how to find God in your spiritual desert one way or another (laughs) what do we do when we feel like we're super dry um spiritually speaking um you know we might feel like well i mean before jumping into it i have a few things to say first so so first of all kind of the background of of why um so i do bible studies on uh campus here the university of sherbrooke in quebec and I usually ask my students, what do you guys want to talk about? And uh, which is a good thing other than just rather than just talking about what I want to talk about. And uh, this past week, um, I had requests for how to get out of a spiritual desert. Somebody else asked about anxiety and um, somebody else talked about how to help somebody in, in need. And uh, somebody else talked about depression and um, physical health. And um, they all kind of clustered, it felt like it all kind of clustered around students feeling, you know, either they were down or their friend were down or struggling with emotions and school and things like that. And um, the topics I really love are apologetics. I love intellectual stuff. I love, you know, the problem of pain. I love the Kalam Clause, the logical argument. Um... But uh, it was very evident to me as I looked at these subjects. Um, that's not where people are itching right now. It's getting towards the end of the year. Um, some of these students have come from across the world and are dealing with culture shock. Uh, some of them just, you know, they're writing uh, a master's thesis and all the stress associated with that. Some of them just have family baggage or whatever that um, you know, everybody's struggling with something. Um, and, um, one of the main things that, that one of the students and, and, you know, he, he told me in, in private as well, you know, he raised a Christian, um, done the, the Bible school thing. Uh, he's, he's done everything right. And it feels like God's just not there for him or, you know, he believes in God, but it's like, he's not getting anything out of it. Um, he prays and he doesn't hear anything back. He, he he goes to church and he doesn't. The worship doesn't do anything for him. The sermons don't do anything for him. And so he's he's really struggling with: is he going to keep going with this or not? Um, and it's for him totally not a um, uh, a crisis of of faith. He believes God exists, but where are you, God? Uh, why? Why aren't you uh, 
um, why aren't you you meeting me? Uh, why aren't you giving me that that sense of your spirit and, and your presence when I pray? So um, we have the question: How to get out of a spiritual desert, um, or how to find God in your desert? So I started off the study by saying, how many deserts do you think there are in the world? And the students got kind of this glazed, overwhelmed look, and they were like, is this on the exam? Because I don't know. (laughs) Um, I imagine there's a lot. I don't know the answer either. Um, It probably depends what you consider a desert, and there's probably different definitions, but there's a lot of deserts, and there's different deserts. I mean, I can think off the top of my head, everybody goes to the Sahara Desert um, in their mind as they think of both deserts. The biggest desert of the, in the world. Then there's the Kalahari Desert, which is also quite large but has more wildlife on it. Um, you know, there's the Mongolian Desert uh, over uh, in Mongolia. Um, there's actually some deserts in northern Canada, um, in uh, northern Saskatchewan and uh, Alberta, I think. There's areas that are like sand dunes and considered uh, desert. And of course, you know, the um, southern states on the west, there's a lot of deserts. Um, and uh, the point being, they're, they're all different. These are all different deserts. Um, I was watching a show by, I think it was Bear Grylls or else uh, Survivor Man. And he was in the Sahara Desert telling us how to survive. And uh, while we were eating potato chips on the couch, which was, you know, it's always great when the situation's that way, not (laughs) the other way around. Um, Everybody enjoys deserts when they're not in them, and they're just talking about them. Um, And uh, he said, you know, um, common logic would tell you if you're lost and you find a river, uh, follow the river downstream and you're going to find civilization because rivers tend to go into bigger rivers and bigger rivers eventually to the ocean. And civilization is going to be around the lakes or the larger rivers or around the ocean. Um, but what he said is that uh, in the Sahara, it's the opposite because all the, all the rivers go into the desert and just go underground and evaporate and, and die in the desert because it's just so big. Um, if you find a river, you go upstream and when you go upstream, I guess the big exception to that would be the Niger River. If you find the Niger River, <laughs> you're probably set. But uh, anyways, the, you know, the, the little rivers is what he's talking about. You go upstream because you're going to find a mountain, you're going to find a spring, you're going to find uh, pretty much a mountain. And there's going to be some civilization there. There's going to be somebody that can help you out. Um, the point of saying that is when we talk about... Um, what to do in a spiritual desert there's not just one you know everybody's different but there's you know at least I'm going to say probably four or five major spiritual deserts that people get into Um, and there's different reasons for getting into them Um, off the top of my head I'm saying there's a spiritual desert of sin um, that you got into by yourself you know uh, there's a spiritual desert of spiritual attack. There's a spiritual desert of, of physical um, um, problems, of sickness, and that's going to affect your spirit. Uh, there's a spiritual desert of um, pain, where either 
people have hurt you, where maybe you've been abused, uh, where you might feel like God has hurt you. You know, Jesus on the cross said, My fault. Um, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Samachit, um, in Aramaic, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, y- you can have, you know, that feeling of being abandoned or being hurt by God or by somebody else. Um, and there's other deserts as well, but those are just the four off the top of my head. And those are all completely different deserts. They're completely different places. And the reason for that, for saying that and starting this off by that, by saying there's different deserts and different reasons for getting there, is to say the worst, maybe the worst thing you can do is to say, when somebody says, I'm in a spiritual desert, is to say, well, I was once in a spiritual desert. Now I'm not. And here's how I got out and offer them a roadmap. That's great if you're in the same desert, if they're in the same desert that you were, and if they're in there for the same reason that you were, then your roadmap is going to help them, and that's awesome. But what if they're in a different different desert uh, for a totally different reason? Um, you know, for example, maybe your issue was you know you were stuck in sin, and once you got that sin dealt with, boom, you know. The flowers were blooming, the, the, there was rain, there was grass, it was, you know, you could feel God's presence, it was awesome. But somebody is in the desert because um, they've been deeply wounded by somebody else's sins, and they feel abandoned by God. And you're going, well, where's the sin, where's the sin, where's the sin? And they're like, well, I, I mean, I'm a sinner, I guess, maybe there's some sin. And you're like, no, what, what's, the, what's your hang-up, what's your main sin? And I mean... That's not going to be helpful if it's the wrong desert. Um, and I, I'm very passionate about, uh, because of experiences that I've had and, and my wife has had, um, sometimes Christians can be really, really hurtful in giving people advice or teaching uh, that is not correct. It might be correct in one situation, but we get so excited about it and say, everybody needs to do this. Everybody needs to read my book and, and do my thing and, you know... Um, do Christianity exactly my way, that can be really hurtful. Um, you can lead somebody deeper into a desert by giving them a map that isn't um, isn't appropriate to them. A map is only helpful if you know where you are on it. I mean, it's, nowadays we have GPS, and it's a map, and it tells you where you are, which is awesome. Um, but oftentimes when somebody's in a desert, it's like, yeah, I got this map from so-and-so, I got that map from so-and-so. I don't know where I am on either map. Um, but, all right, so I hope you, you got that point. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. And uh, so I've prefaced this. I've got, I've got 10 points, believe it or not. I'm not... I, I managed to get through it all for the Bible study. I was like, you know, guys, we're not going to get through this. And then we did, which was awesome. So I might actually get through this in the regular podcast time, about 40 minutes. Um, and I've prefaced them all with sometimes... So sometimes we just need to adjust our expectations is the first point. Um, and I've kind of put them a little bit in order of my life uh, as I look back and think about times I've been felt really dry or felt frustrated that I didn't have more of God. Um, in my early teens or mid-teens, um, I read a book called Help Me Remember, Help Me Forget uh, by, by, I'm going to look that up, by Mary Chaplin 
uh, written about Robert Sadler. Um, it's this gripping story. It was probably a little bit beyond my maturity level at the time. About um, one of the very last slaves. Actually, he was a slave after they were allowed to have slaves in the uh, American South. And um, goes through his life story and different things. And then right towards the end of the book, he really meets Jesus and has this tremendous conversion experience and um, really lives a life of miracles. Like God speaks to him, miracles happen. Um, and he, he's just a spirit-filled, amazing guy. Um, I also read a book that a lot of you are familiar with, In His Steps by, um, by Charles Monroe Sheldon. It's always great to do podcasts with a computer in front of you because you don't have to remember anything. Um, and uh, it kind of opened my eyes to, hey, there's there's more to this Christianity business. You know, I'd always been a Christian, always felt, almost always felt called to be missionary and to give my life to God. Um, but at a certain point, I realized, like, there's more to this. I can have, a like, a personal relationship. Yes, I know, like, I always knew I had a personal relationship, but it's like, um, I could live a radical faith for God and God could come through and be radical for me. And um, then the next step was being really frustrated because, you know, as a kid at home, I couldn't just go out and, you know, invite people over to our house or, or go on missions right away. So I felt like I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. I was also reading books like um, the... Well, there was a missionary story that uh, is very uh, poorly known. I, I forget the name of it. Uh, there were other books that, that influenced me as well, um, but like the life of David Livingston and, and others. And I wanted to do that, but I couldn't. And I felt like my church was, you know, um, Pharisaical and, and shallow, and and um, and was were holding me back. I guess I wanted to go, I wanted to do. Um, And more importantly, I felt like, you know, at, as I really pushed that, and then, um, well, okay, I was frustrated with my church, and then I, I kept kind of pushing, like, God, I want more of you, I want more of you. So reading the Bible a lot, um, I had, my, my dad had started me reading the Bible when I was eight, just as I did with my son, and, um, you know, by the age of 12, 13, I was reading it on my own, I was doing it almost daily, I was passionate about it, I was getting a lot out of it, I uh, had my own prayer and devotional life, um, and uh, I also had um, some influence by, Pente by a Pentecostal church and Pentecostal pastor, and through this book and also through them, saw like, um, you know, I can... You know, God speaks to me. God can can give me more of Himself, and um, that became a real frustration after a while, um, because I felt like God's not giving me more of Himself. Uh, I'm I'm here praying. I'm here wanting more of God, and I'm doing all that I can. You know, I was I was trying to serve God in the in the ways that I could, going to a Christian school in a Christian family in a Christian church. Um, eventually I had left my Christian bubble to go to the secular university as a missionary, um, which is a whole other story. I think I talked about that in my, in my testimony somewhere. Um, but I was doing everything I could, but I felt like God wasn't giving me of himself. He, he wasn't 
I wasn't working miracles like I wanted to. I wasn't, you know, bawling, uh, you know, just, just having tears running down my eyes when I was, was worshiping or praying. Um, you know, sometimes that happened, but usually it didn't. And often when I'd read the Bible, it was just words on the page. It wasn't this great emotional experience like I wanted. Um, and so um, eventually, and I, I've become a little bit less comfortable with this this first point as I've kind of thought about it and chewed on it. Um, but eventually I learned to adjust my expectations. Now, I want you to know that you can really have a deep personal relationship with Jesus where he speaks to you and he's close to you. Um, and, you know, if you're in one of these other deserts, the desert of sin, the desert of, of spiritual attack, the desert of abuse, the desert of, of bitterness and unforgiveness, you can have better. You don't need to adjust your expectations and say, well, I guess I just live in the desert forever, depending which desert you're in. Um, but what I was asking was unrealistic at the time. Um, because as we're going to see, you know, life is a wilderness. And it's not realistic to expect to be in God's manifest presence every moment of every day. That's heaven. You know, there is no sun there because Jesus is the sun. And they will be always with their, with their God. Um, that's what heaven is. And so it's normal to go through times that are dry. Um, in addition to that, sometimes it can be a sin to be asking all the time for miracles, all the time for signs, all the time for exciting stuff. Um, I was really, uh, as I was reading it, it was really strange when I first read Matthew 12, 38 to 39. Um, the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, Teacher, show us a sign. And Jesus said, no sign will be given to, to what a wicked and perverse generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And it, at least two, maybe even three of the synoptic gospels mention this same thing. So it's kind of an important thing that Jesus said that the Pharisees asked him for a sign. And he said, you guys are bad. You guys, are, that was the wrong thing to ask. You guys are wicked and perverse and you're not getting a sign. So there. I was like, God, why? Why, why is it bad to ask for signs? Why is it bad to ask for for some proof? And um, I'd ask you that question. Why is it? Why was it bad? Isn't that legitimate to ask for signs? Um, I asked that of my students and at least three things came up. I mean, were they testing God? You know, we're not supposed to put God to the test. Um, what were the other things? I forget. <laughs> um, what was really, what's really interesting is you see the larger context is they were surrounded by signs. Jesus was working miracles all the time around them. Open your eyes, you know. It's like when, um, when the followers of John the Baptist come to Jesus and ask if, if he's the one, he says, look around you. You know, the, the lame can walk, the blind can see, and blessed is the man who does not stumble on account of me. Um, there were miracles happening all around them. So why were they asking for a sign when they were surrounded by signs? Um, is it perhaps because they wanted their sign in their way because they had asked for it? They want to be in control. And sometimes, honestly, is, is that our motivation? 
you know, we're surrounded by miracles. We're surrounded, and you know, in the natural world, we're surrounded by grace, by the sun rising, by you know, birds singing. We're surrounded by God's favor in this country, and we're surrounded by God's favor around our families that are you know healthy, and um, we're healthy, and and we're you know in the top what do they say top three percent of the world's wealthy population you know like we've got it good you know and and good things are happening and maybe not every single day and every single time but god speaks to us in 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 the word and in in um our community um but we want our sign we want it to happen our way we want to be in control and sometimes that's putting god to the test or that's an illegitimate desire to be in control when we need to ask god what do you want to do what's your plan um I, uh, I, I really, I feel like I'm charismatic. <laughs> People probably won't, don't agree with me. Um, but I believe that God has more for us. I believe in um, healings. Uh, I mean, most of us believe in answered prayers. Uh, but I, I believe in healings too. I believe in the gift of prophecy that God can speak directly to us. And I've, ha- I've experienced that. Um, I even believe in the in the gift of tongues. I haven't seen it personally, um, but the Bible says it's there, so I believe it happens. Um, and I believe there's more of God. Uh, part of my frustration with this thing is I feel like, um, like it often comes with bad teaching, bad ideas, um, such as we're the only ones that have it right. If you don't have the Holy Spirit like we do, then you're a halfway Christian. Or um, Jesus always wants to heal all the time. Uh, and I've got a sermon on that. Um, I guess it's called some, Psalm something and then uh, the, the Health and Wealth Gospel in the Sermons Podcast section. Um, but part of that whole thing, which I feel God is trying to bring to the church, but it, it's it's attached with bad teaching that people that have more of a teaching bent really react to. Um, part of that is is telling God what to do and demanding God do this and and thanking God in advance that He's already done it. And you know, I I just don't see that in scriptures. God is in control, and we obey Him. And if God wants to do a miracle, you know, He can do that. Um, and he can, through the gift of prophecy, tell us what needs to happen, and we can we can speak in complete confidence. Or else, God, you know, we can say, God, we want this to happen. If it be your will, let this happen. Um, anyways, that's a little bit of a, a side trail. I know some of you will, will strongly disagree with me on that, and that's fine. That's for another podcast. Um, but I feel like... Um, for myself, anyways, uh, one of the ways I need to adjust my expectations is is just realizing I need to follow God's time scale. I need to follow what God is doing. I can't. I'm not in control. I can't work miracles on my back and call. Um, James four one to three says, "You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? Um, what is the source of fights and quarrels among you?" Is it not your selfish desires that wage war within yourselves, within your members? You ask, um, you desire, and you do not have, and so you covet and fight. You ask, and you do not, do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, 
And um, honestly, at this season of my life, I was asking God for more of him, but with wrong motives. I mean, it's, it's, it's strange, it's counterintuitive, but you can actually ask for more of God. God, I want more, I want more of you. I want, I want power, I want the Holy Spirit, I want miracles, I want you know, prophecy, I, I want amazing things to happen, I want people to get saved. And all of this from wrong motives. And my motive was me. I mean, I wanted to be the guy saying, Lazarus, rise. You know, <laughs> I want to be the guy saying, um, you know, this is how you get saved. Boom. And then somebody gets saved. And I'm like, yes, you know, I was the one that was part of that. Um, I want to be the one uh, in control. And motives matter to God. They matter a lot. Um, and sometimes, and I would say probably often, God doesn't work miracles, even though he would like to, because we're asking with wrong motives. Same as God doesn't bless us sometimes because we're asking with wrong motives so that we can spend them on our lusts, uh, whether that's pride or greed or or whatever. So um, why are you asking God to get out of the desert? Why is this a big deal for you? Why do you want more of God? What's your motivation? I'm going to ask these questions and then leave an awkward silence. That's for you to take a moment to pray. <laughs> um, if you want to pause the podcast at any time, if God's speaking to you, boom, uh, pause it. Uh, what I meant to mention at the beginning too, just say wrap up point one and go to point two. Um, a lot of my podcasts are more intellectual, you know, and uh, you just kind of digest the information and then go on with your life. This one really gets down deep into your heart, and or it's supposed to. Um, you can just absorb it all intellectually and say, "Well, this is good information. Now I can go help somebody else." I think um, I think God wants to speak to you personally and your heart. Um, and so, uh, by all means, pause the podcast and ask God, God, what what do you want to say to me through this? What's what's going on? Um, and uh, I'm going to translate this into English and post it along with the podcast. Um, I'm giving myself a to-do list now. Um, and, and I would encourage you to print this off. I, you know, what I encourage my students, print this off, keep it in your Bible for, for a few weeks or whatever. And um, as you're doing your devotions or sitting in church or whatever, take it out and say, where am I? And... Why am I here? And what do you want? What's next for me, God? All right, so I got a few points that are a little bit, um, we can move through them a little bit quicker. In fact, we have to because uh, we won't get through all the information if we take inordinate, inordinate amount of time on each. Um, sometimes we're just too individualistic and isolated. And uh, this is one that, I mean, it's often one of the first things we say to to young Christians, uh, look, a coal doesn't, if you think of a fire, you know, it's burning bright, everything, all the coals and logs are all contributing to the fire. You take a coal out of the fire or a log out of the fire, what happens? It goes out, starts smoldering, gets cool, uh, and pretty soon the fire just completely goes out. Even if it was, you know, in the middle of the fire, it might have been the brightest burning log or the, the brightest red coal. But you take it out of the fire, what happens? It gets cool. Um, 
and uh, you know Jesus. Um, well, there's two point, two evidences for this that I have. Um, you know, Jesus said uh, that you know go in your in your closet and pray in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The purpose for that was you know don't don't pray out in public just to receive um, praise. I think our culture has kind of switched. So now praying in public is something that's going to bring shame. And so I, I would kind of think it's a good thing to pray in public. Um, you're kind of planting your flag. But the point of that is, look, you, you can pray in secret. You know, God sees that. God rewards that. Um, but God doesn't promise to meet with you in secret. He likely will. He often does. But that's not the promise. The promise is where two or three are gathered, there am I also. And I published it on Facebook and I got a pushback. Isn't this in the context of church discipline? And actually, if you look at the larger passage, it's talking about, um, you know, if somebody offends you, then, then then tell him personally and then bring a friend and then bring it to the whole church. And um, and uh, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Uh, I tell you the truth, whoever two or three are gathered there, I am with you also. So the larger context is... Um, under dispute actually uh, but perhaps it's in the context of church discipline and you know the, the spiritual authority that we have as believers when we gather together um, and that may be true uh, that is the main context well that is true um, the precise meaning of uh, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven it's a very controversial passage obviously the Catholics would say that's the authority of the Pope that has been given to Peter and, and passed down, and, and this is the authority. There's no salvation outside the church. Uh, they used to say, and now it's kind of changed to where everybody's saved, but um, but they just don't know it. Um, so, so the Catholics have a certain idea of what that means. Protestants don't really know what to do with that passage, um, but there's certainly different perspectives on it. But certainly, the point I want to get back to is that Jesus said, I will be there. And whether that's, you know, to judge some to judge a spiritual issue or whatever, Jesus is going to be there where two or three are gathered. And the other thing that I find significant is that Jesus said, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done to me. And um, we tend to read that as, you know, going to Africa and helping the needy, going you know, to the streets of, of our major cities and helping the needy. Uh, what my Bible professor helped me to see was that this is especially talking about helping the needy Christians. Um, this is the main context of that particular passage. I think that's uh, Matthew twenty five forty, and the previous one was Matthew eighteen twenty. Um, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done to me. So when we help a Christian that needs help, and a non-Christian as well, um, but specifically and primarily Christians that need help, we're actually meeting Jesus. And Jesus is going to tell us one day, thank you. You met me. You helped me. You, you trusted me. You met with me in prison. You gave me food when I needed it. You clothed me, etc. So it's in community and on mission and helping other people that we actually come face to face with Jesus. That's that's where the promise is in scriptures. There's no promise. 
if I could tell you one thing about scriptures, it's look at what scriptures actually say and promise. Look at what scriptures actually say and promise. So much of our worship songs are nice words, but Jesus didn't promise to do that. He didn't promise that, you know, when I walk on the waters, then you will be with me. There's no verse in scriptures that says that. You know, I'm kind of paraphrasing a, a, a common hill song, song that we sing. Great song, you know, but that's not what God has promised. Read scriptures and figure out what God has actually promised because this is the Lord of the universe. This is the God, you know, as Augustine said, we are restless until we rest in him. The entire groaning and striving of the human race is to find peace in God. And God has promised us um, that we can have peace, we can have shalom in him, more than just an end of striving, but an active health, wholeness, and unity with him. Jesus said, in that day, I will be, just as I am in the Father and he is in me, you will be in me and I will be in you. This is what we can have in Jesus. But we need to do it his way. We don't just make things up because they sound, because they rhyme. Um, and we don't just make things up because, you know, we want our kids to read the Bible. So we say, Jesus is going to meet you there. Yeah, he, he probably will. But where does he promise to meet you? Where does scripture say he's actually going to do it? In community. And um, something that's not super helpful in English, which is why we always need to go back to the original languages or use language tools or use commentaries that tell us about the original language. Um, something that's not helpful in English is that there's no singular second person. A um, little bit of trivia here. In English, there used to be the and you. The was you singular. I'm just There's a group of people over there, and I say, hey, the, um, come here. And everybody looks around and says, Who, which one of us are you talking to? Because the meant only one of you. Or there's a group of people over there, and I say, hey, you, come over here. And everybody comes because, you know, they're obedient Christian homeschool kids, for one thing. But also because you refers to everybody, a group of people. And just as in French, there's tu et vous, um, and, and the tu, it means singular, and the vous means plural, but it's also more respectful. And so um, it, uh, you say vous more than you say tu because it's more respectful. Um, and uh, in English, that the you kind of took over, and so you don't say thee and thou anymore. Um, you say you. And, and, and so now there is no singular uh, second person in English. It just doesn't exist unless you want to say thee and thou, but then people still won't really understand anymore what that means. They just think that you're trying to be, you know, old-fashioned. But most of the New Testament um, was written for you plural, y'all, um, in one of my uh, classes in seminary, the teacher uh, offered us this challenge. Find me one verse in the New Testament that talks about you personally receiving the Holy Spirit. And um, 
you know, one of the students was like, no, come on. Like we, I personally received the Holy Spirit. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. They said, prove it. Go to the Bible and find me one verse that says you personally will receive the Holy Spirit. And, you know, the students all took up the challenge. We had 10 minutes of searching through and then we came back to the teacher and said, well, what about this verse? And he looked in the Greek. No, that's plural. What about this verse? Looked in the Greek. No, that's plural. Looked about, what about this verse? Looked in the Greek. No, that's plural. All the places where we are promised to receive the Holy Spirit, it's plural. It's as a group. It's as a community. Um, because we were saved as individuals, but we were saved to a community. We were saved to a body, to a family, to into a new kingdom. We were grafted into a tree. And so you can't go it alone. And our culture is so individualistic um, and so, you know, cowboy, me against the world. This is not how the New Testament was written. It's not actually how most of the world lives. Um, talk about the two-thirds world or, you know, the non-Western world. Um, my African student, after one of my students from Africa, um, did the whole study and was kind of like, okay, what do you guys think? What do you guys want to comment? And he said, you know, you guys are so depressed in North America. He says, I was born in, in Africa. He's actually from R Rwanda. And he said, we, we are a joyful people. We're poor, but we're always happy, he said. And part of that is I might have sadness in my life. I might have things that are difficult. But I look at my sister and I look at my brother and I look at, at my family and they're happy. And so I enter into their joy. And and he said, and here it's, it's just all about me and my stuff and my, my things in my life. And it makes you sad. And I thought, and I said, we need to learn from you. We need to learn from other cultures in the world that have a better understanding of, of communal life. And that is how we're supposed to live the Christian life is in community. And if you're feeling like um, God's not speaking to you, it could be because you're doing it wrong. You were never supposed to be in isolation or rebellion sometimes against God's family. You're meant to be a community. Um, so find a good community and, and plug yourself in. Sometimes we're too inactive. Um, God blesses us so we can be a blessing. The principle of Genesis 12 too, Abraham was blessed so that he could bless all peoples. And Zechariah 8.13 as well says, you were, Israel was blessed so that it could be a blessing. And so I just ask you, who are you blessing? Who are you, you pouring yourself out to? Um, is your faith like the Nile River or like the Dead Sea? Proverbs 11.24 says there's a man who hoards it all and is always poor. And there's a man who is generous and gives, and yet he has an abundance. And I think that's especially true of spiritual things. But it kind of depends which desert you're in. If you're in the desert of burnout from giving too much, don't listen to this advice. <laughs> don't, don't listen. Um, but I'm speaking kind of, you know, all this would have applied really well to me as a young Christian. Um, very focused on myself and what I'm feeling and what I'm not feeling. And, and I needed when I started trying to share my faith and getting out and caring for others, all of a sudden I started feeling a lot more of God's presence. Um, okay, point number four. Now we're going to start some, some more heavy lifting here. 
sometimes we're caught in sin. And, uh, oh, shoot. I just saw my time has really gotten away from me. We're up to 40 minutes here. Well, you know what? There's no reason this shouldn't be a two-part podcast. Um, I was thinking I'd get through it all in one one go, but part of the beauty of podcasts is I can just talk, and it can be a little bit longer, but we get more you know, background information and more, um, more interesting details. So maybe we'll just go to point five, and then we'll have the next five points as the second podcast. Um, and I will not consider this a failure. That's <laughs> just how it is. All right, so sometimes we're, we're stuck in sin. And again, I mean, I'm thinking of myself as a, as a young teen, really struggling with uh, a few sins, and one in particular. Um, John 8.32 says, uh, Jesus said, anybody who commits a sin is a slave to sin. And uh, if you're a slave, what's your salary? Well, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So if you're looking around you and all you see is dead trees, dead grass, dead walk with God, not feeling anything, not having answers to prayer, maybe it's because there's too much sin, you know, and God does forgive us for our sins. He does. But every time you sin, there's death. And I feel like, and this might be wrong, okay, but... The church has always said there's a difference in in the types of sins. In the in the end of First uh, John, it talks about the sin leading to death and the sin not leading to death. Um, and there's a difference. And Catholics have gone too far with this in, in their doctrine, talking about venial and um, and mortal sins. And uh, you know, you can it, it almost feels like venial sins. You can just do as many as you want; it doesn't matter. Uh, and mortal sins, it's almost like there's no forgiveness. Um, we can go too far with this because even the smallest sin, even a, a thought sin, as Jesus said, if somebody even covets a woman in his heart, um, he's already committed adultery with her. So any sin is enough to bring a separation between you and God. Any sin is enough to send you to hell. But there's a difference in the consequences of our sins. If, you know, hypothetically speaking, this person covets a woman in his heart, yes, he's sinned. And that's going to bring a certain amount of death to his spiritual garden inside his heart. If he actually goes out and sleeps with this woman and then comes back, there's going to be a lot more death and devastation in his heart than if he just coveted her. Um, And, you know, be that as it may, people have, have objected before to me saying there's a difference in sins. Um, But I really, it's not a difference as far as, like, all sin is sin. All sin is terrible. All sin makes us culpable before God. Um, It's because of any and all sins that we, all of us have sinned and fall short of of the glory of God. But there's a difference in devastation between different sins. And, um, you know, thinking of myself as a kid, as a teenager, there was a certain sin I was struggling with that was just bringing devastation was just ravaging my spiritual life, and, and I couldn't get free from it. I, I just kept coming back and coming back and coming back, and I hated it, and I wanted to fight it, and I wanted to have freedom, and I wanted all these things, but I couldn't get free. I couldn't get loose. Um, and you know, every two, three days or a week max, I'd come back to the same sin. 
and it was it was as though you know it, it was like a wound you know and I'd wound my my heart my soul my relationship with God and it would start to heal you know through God's grace it would start to heal but it wouldn't it wouldn't heal enough before I would, would wound it again and I was walking this continual state of death and and woundedness um, and uh, I think I talked about that in a different podcast but I'm just gonna go ahead anyways um, I had a lot of great relationships with some some pastors and and uh, mentors in the area people like some of you might know people like uh, Merle Nisley Keith Graber Jeff Yutze, um and uh, Derek Yutze. Shout out to you guys. You guys made a huge difference in my life. I appreciate you all. Um, and uh, things really changed, like kind of making progress with a lot of these guys. And then I met um, Ivan Raymer. Um, long story short, we, you know, we were kind of going back and forth and talking. And I was, you know, as I was struggling with these things, I would call him up and say, hey, you know, I messed up again. And can you can you pray with me and 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 pray that God would heal me and and uh, I feel so bad about this and um, an accountability partner you know and I did one time with him and then called him back again it was pretty new like I had just kind of called him up and asked if he would help me with this this issue and also to, to mentor me in life and uh, there's kind of this long silence on the phone and then he just let me have it and he said. Um, said a lot of things a lot of which I forget but one of the main things that kind of hit me between the eyes was he read James 1 6 that um, a man or quoted it that a man um, without faith is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind and he said you just hesitate you're just vacillating between God and sin like what do you actually want do you it doesn't sound like you 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 care that you have this sin in your life it doesn't seem like you you really want God. Um, you're just going back and forth, and of course God's not going to hear your prayer for deliverance because you you don't know what you want. And He even called into question my my salvation. Uh, he said, "Are you really saved? Because it doesn't really seem like it, like you are. You're not living like it. You're not um, choosing God above this this sin." And uh, hung up the phone. Just went on my knees and just bawled. I can still just see myself in third person on the floor in the concrete of my my room and just bawling. Um, and things changed, you know, when I met with him again. And it was all love, you know, when I met with him again. And he just picked me up and said, all right, let's move forward. Because I said, you know, I accept the challenge. I do want this sin gone. Um, sometimes we're in a desert because we don't really want to leave sometimes we're in a desert because we don't really want to leave you know and something that um, Keith Graber said to me as well you know as, as we were kind of talking about this and kind of it was a lot more informal with him uh, especially this certain time I'm thinking of and we were just kind of going back and forth and I said you know I I like this sin I it's always there for me. It's like a good friend. And I wasn't totally serious, but it was something I said that actually was maybe the most honest thing I said that day. Or It was very true that I loved this, and it was a good friend. And um, 
we kind of just kept doing whatever we were doing. And then he came back and he said, you know, you need to learn to hate that friend. And that has stuck with me. Um, sometimes we need to learn to hate our friend. Um, we need to learn to hate this sin. We need to learn to hate what it is that's got us stuck. Um, Jesus said, if, if you do not hate your, your, your wife and your house and your kids and your family and your job, compared to how much you love me, then you're not worthy of me. Um, the point isn't that you know we hate legitimate good relationships, but that we love God so much that these other things pale in comparison. And how much more sins that have us, us bound and, and held. You know, it's normal to be uh, in, the, in the combat, in the fight against sin. That, that's the Christian life. Welcome to your Christian life. You, it's a battle. That's why we have armor. That's why we are an army, uh, and we are we fight we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and spirituals in the high places, spiritual authorities in the high places. Uh, it's a battle. It's normal to be fighting against sin, but it's not normal to be in the prison. If you're in a dungeon, and you're every day bang 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 coming back to the same sin, that's just causing devastation to your soul. You need to get out. You need to get out. There is victory for you. Um, you know, and I I can say like it's been like almost a decade, you know, where this this sin that used to be a, a daily, weekly occurrence hasn't been an issue, you know. There's, I mean, there's a daily combat, but I'm not in the prison. I'm not in the prison anymore. And whatever your sin is, it is not God's will that you live in that sin day to day to day to day. Don't adjust your expectations here. If you're in this desert of spiritual sin, there is victory. Now, yes, you're still going to struggle in your thoughts. Yes, you're still going to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He was in the battle too when he came. He understands we don't have a high priest that can't sympathize, but one that was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Um, so it's normal to be in the battle, but it's not normal to be in the prison. And if you're in the prison, whatever that prison is, you need to get out of there. And you need to do what you need to do to get out of that prison. Jesus said in, in uh, Revelation three fifteen to 16, um, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth, speaking to the Laodicean church. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, well, for one thing, that Christians make him want to throw up. Christians disgust him. These are Christians. These are his people, his saints. And he says, you disgust me. You make me want to barf. And he said, I would rather you were hot or cold rather than lukewarm. So basically what he was saying, I, I mean, best case scenario, I, I wish you were an on-fire Christian. But if not, I wish you were an atheist rather than a lukewarm Christian. That's what Jesus said in, in, in Revelation three fifteen to 16. I wish you were cold rather than lukewarm. Why do you think Jesus hates lukewarm Christians so much and wishes they were atheists instead of lukewarm Christians.
I think part of this is that Jesus, um, he's personal. He's a jealous God. And he's asking us to come into a relationship with him. And he has given everything for us. And when we just kind of play with him and we're playing with our sin, we're kind of in between, we're kind of like, yeah, we can do the church thing and then kind of do whatever we want on Friday night. How vulgar and how insulting to the God who has given everything for us. And as Hebrews uh, 8 and, and 10 talk about you know, people that use the cross as a license for sin. Oh yeah, I'll get forgiven. Oh yeah, I'll get forgiven. It's no big deal. How insulting to the Lord of glory who laid down his life for us. It's like, um, it's like a girl that's going between two guys. Can't make up her mind. One day she's with him, one day she's with him, going back and forth, playing with both of their hearts. I think Jesus wants to say, don't play me like that. If you want to go with me, go with me. If you want to go with Satan, go with Satan. You know, in Judges it says, um, if you want to serve uh, Joshua at the end of his life, says to the people of Israel, if you want to serve the gods that our ancestors served, you know, beyond the Euphrates, um, Terah and his family likely served idols over in Ur. If you want to serve those gods, go for it. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What's your choice? Who are you going to serve? Who's your God? Who's your friend? Jesus said, it's the pure in heart who will see God. How's your heart? All right, we're going to leave it there, and I'm going to pick it up for the next six points next week. Have a good day. Bye.